Welcome to the Smart Connector, the podcast that helps entrepreneurs be the leader their ideal people love. Build your influence, wealth and success, attract others for all the right reasons and become a Smart Connector, the architect of your amazing business and life. Hello everybody, it's Thursday night, eight o'clock, we're live on the Smart Connected group and I have a very special guest for you tonight and I'd like to welcome Jack Lammercraft. Welcome Jack. Good evening, it's great to be here, thank you. So Jack is Managing Director and Founder of the experiential um, brand agency, events agency, The Park and so we're going to be talking tonight about about his work and about him and about the impact that the whole COVID-19 crisis has had on the events industry, which is something that is quite close to my own heart because my daughter graduated in events management this year. So we'll be going into that. Um, There is some good news, which Jack and I were chatting about earlier on. But before we get into that, Jack, I'd just like to hear a little bit more about you and about how did you end up in brand marketing? What drew you to events? Um, tell, tell us a little bit about your history. Yeah, so I've, I've, I think I've, I was an annoying child because I've always been obsessed with brands. So <laughs> from day one, I was obsessed with brands. I was the 11-year-old kid that would not wear trainers that my mother bought me because they were the wrong brand. I'd feel embarrassed to get out of my dad's car if he was driving the wrong car. <laughs> I've always been totally obsessed with brands, so it's it's no surprise really that I've kind of ended up doing what I do. Um, had an interesting business, so I did 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 study study business and did a, ended up doing a marketing degree. So my my journey is fairly formulaic and boring, I'm afraid. So I've kind of you know followed followed a well trodden path. Um, but I was actually going to do a master's in marketing, but came down to London from Liverpool to. Um, do some work experience at an agency called Cake, who were very cutting edge. This was 2000, and I think they were probably one of the first agencies to really understand the power of kind of big ideas and and just ideas that really got ex- people excited that weren't necessarily um, within a particular channel. So they weren't a creative agency, they weren't really a PR agency, they weren't an experiential agency, they weren't a social agency. What they did was just come up with brilliant ideas that people wanted to talk about wanted to share, wanted to go to, and just, you know, were, were really contagious. So I didn't know any anything else. I thought every office was like that. I thought every company was like that. And actually, it was the best, best kind of grounding I could have possibly had. There was no creative department. Everyone was empowered and inspired to be creative. Um, and we were, you know, just, just lucky to work with, with brilliant brands and on brilliant projects. We were out at music festivals every, you know, every weekend in the summer doing different activations working for you know clients like Nintendo, Reebok, Evian. Um, so just a brilliant, brilliant learning. So did work experience there and, and luckily was offered a job. So so didn't go back to do the masters and, and, and stayed there for three years. Um, and was lucky enough to kind of specialize in sport. So they won the Reebok business, um, which was really exciting at the time. Reebok was sponsoring the likes of Liverpool Football Club and, and Venus Williams from a tennis point of view and Wales Rugby Union. They had loads of brilliant assets. Mm. And I was really into sport, so just kind of got into that and, and from there moved to, to Tottenham Hotspur um, in a marketing comms role there. Um, wasn't there as long as I would have liked because I think I'm an agency person. They say you're either an agency or a client person. I'm very much agency. I think I love the vibrancy. I love 
working on multiple clients. I love different challenges. So I kind of got back into agency world, um, worked for a couple more agencies, Frank PR, worked on a couple of big World Cup projects for them. And then Exposure, where I worked on predominantly on Umbro. So I was kind of specializing in football at that point. Um, and then moved to Australia. Um, so I moved to Australia in 2008 and was lucky enough to, to get the opportunity to um, set up the MNC Saatchi Sport and Entertainment business down in Sydney. So wow. founded that business, well, co-founded that business and, and was the general manager there for, for 10 years, um, working on lots of brands you've probably never heard of because in Australia, a lot of their brands don't tend to permeate other countries. They're, they're, they're quite contained and working on sports, I didn't know. So suddenly having to work on Aussie rules football, which I didn't have a clue about really um, and still don't understand the rules even though I lived there for 10 years. And then came back to the UK um, in 2018 to to set up the park. And I guess my background is it's quite hard to to pigeonhole me because I've I've been lucky enough to be in and around these these agencies that that you know were, were, were all about creativity and about ideas and, and and really about engaging people and giving people great experiences. And as I said, creating things that people wanted to share, the media wanted to write about. Um, so I've done, you know, a lot of PR, I've done a lot of experiential, I've done social, I've done a lot of sports sponsorship, leverage and strategy. Um, and I wouldn't have it any other way. I think just, just specializing in one thing would, would, would probably be a little bit boring. I love the fact that we can, you know, do things through multiple channels. Um, and the park where I am now, co-founded that in 2018, as I said, and we are, we're all about brand proof. So we're about brands, bringing brands to life and, you know, there's a lot of mistrust in the world. There's a lot of brands saying things. There's a lot of, you know, fake news. Can you read, believe what you read? So we, we work with brands to understand what they're trying to prove and then we, we bring it to life and prove it. And that naturally leads to a lot of live work, experiential work, events. Um, so that's kind of it in a nutshell. And yeah, it's, it's been a brilliant two years with the park and, you know, a great career to date as well. Fabulous. And I, I also come from an agency background, Jack. So, so much of what you said resonates with me. It's a very fast moving, fun environment. It can be high pressure at times, as we all know. I mean, it goes mm. with the territory, but um, it's a great career, particularly, I think, for a young person because it, it the variety and the excitement and just the kind of energy of brands are just it's great to be around yeah. um so i just wanted to go back to something that you mentioned quite early on when, when you were talking about um your your early career about the concept of brand activation so not a lot of people that are outside of marketing will really understand what that means so i was wondering if you would mind just clarifying that and what it actually means to activate a brand. Yeah, so I guess what 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 we do, and and you know, we 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 are an experiential agency, so brand activation and experiential kind of sit sit together. Um, and it's basically, you know, it's bringing the brand to life in a way you can touch and feel it and engage with it, rather than an, an advert, which is is something you know you look at. You might see something in a newspaper, in a magazine, on TV. It's it's one dimensional. Um, don't get me wrong, advertising is brilliant, advertising is not dead, it's still very effective, it's very creative, and it's, it, you know, it does amazing things for a lot of wonderful brands. But what we do is activate the brand, so we bring it to life in the real world. So that could be, you know, it could be sampling a product, it could be launching it to the media, so they get to touch and feel it, it could be a consumer event where people are attending an experience that's been put on by a brand. 
So there's a lot of different facets to brand activation and and you know experiential marketing, but um, it sometimes kind of gets seen as just events, but it's it's more than that. There's a lot more to it, and I think you know what we focus on and very much at the park with our with our PR backgrounds is 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 also making sure that we are really thinking about a secondary audience. So you know if you buy an advert. You can go, you know, put it on ITV halfway through Coronation Street. You're going to get reach millions of people. You know that. With experiential and brand activation, sometimes a criticism that, that, that marketers have is, is reach. You know, if you're doing something in a physical place at a moment in time, you can't have two million people there, obviously. So everything that we do, we really focus on the secondary audience. So what's the PR hook? Why are people that attend going to want to share things through their own social channels? What's the social activity that we're creating? How are we live streaming it? So as well as, you know, those that go, we focus on those that know through through leveraging it through secondary um, media as well. Yeah, that sounds great. So can you give us an idea of a recent project where you were actually activating the brand and this experience? this sense of kind of experiencing a brand uh give us an example yeah, i think i think probably something we 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 worked on that we're extremely proud of was a project for for sky vip so sky vip is their vip service um for sky customers and it's about fundamentally making you feel brilliant about being a sky customer so they they they, they do lots of wonderful things exclusively for sky customers um, we were lucky enough to get the chance to do something with anthony joshua the boxer so they said they had an, you know, he is a, an ambassador of theirs. So we had an appearance with him, and what we did, we 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 basically went out through Sky's channels um, to all their VIP members as an opportunity to train with Anthony Joshua's team. So people thought they were going to get the, you know, people that's still an amazing prize, right, to get to train with his team, people <laughs> help train him. So we we took over a boxing gym in in East London, and we had twenty Sky VIP customers came along. And, you know, they were put through their paces, um, did lots of, you know, different boxing exercises through Anthony Joshua's team. They then got in the ring and did some sparring. And what they didn't know is they were actually sparring with Anthony Joshua. So one of them, you know, we, we basically, we behind the scenes, we were working on who of that experience would be best for the film. So we were obviously creating a film off the back of it. And, you know, we then had that amazing reaction when someone realized, you know, they're, they're obviously an Anthony Joshua fan because they, they've applied to come and train with his team. And then they got to actually train with him. And then after that, everyone that attended the event had, had dinner in a, in a boxing ring with Anthony Joshua. Uh -huh. So to go, and to go back to my earlier point, there were only 20 people that actually got to attend that event. But the film we created off the back of it has been viewed millions of times. So, wow. yeah, so that's, a, that's probably, you know, in terms of me, giving that example of the importance of a secondary audience, that's really important because, yeah, those 20 people, don't get me wrong, they had the night of their lives, but it created a film that resonated with a much broader audience as well. And I think that's a very, very interesting concept. And it's actually something that we were talking about as well before you came on, is this, uh, you, you did have a word for it, but the idea of, uh, well, well you, you talked about secondary audiences, but what, um, what was the word that you used for an, an experience or an event that's that's going on in different environments? A hybrid event. Hybrid. Yeah, it. yeah. So that's something that's that's probably happening. It's happened off. You know, it's, it's been accelerated through COVID. To be honest, so now, obviously, we're now spending a lot of time talking to each other and experiencing things through screens. 
Yeah. And that's not, you know, now that's becomes, it's become the norm for a lot of people. And I think now, you know, previously, um, when, when there was an event on, it was very much, you know, particularly with, with kind of conferences and things, it was very much focused on the people in the room. And now it's, it's, we now need to think about the people in the room and the people experiencing it through a screen. So how do we create a compelling experience for people that aren't necessarily there as well? So this is something that happens live. So the, the Anthony Joshua example is slightly different because we created a film off the back of that. But what if we'd done a hybrid event, you know, there would have been potentially millions of people watching through their screens. So how could we have reimagined that event to, to basically work from, through, through a digital point of view as well? So there's gonna be a lot of kind of, yeah, the, and there's, there's already, companies building specialized kind of hybrid studios so oh, you can go and all the kits there all the tech stuff sorted you know um through virtual reality and augmented reality so it's, it's really exciting for this industry and i think yeah it's been that that whole kind of element has been accelerated through covid but it's it's interesting and it's 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 a positive step for the for the industry because it's going to allow us to reach loads more people i think um and there's there's obviously solely digital events as well so obviously the festival season that, that that is is a massive part of a lot of young people's lives here in in the uk and across the world was 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 cancelled this summer there was um you know glastonbury um was obviously cancelled and the guys behind an area of glastonbury did a festival called lost horizon which was a virtual festival and 4.6 million people attended that which is which is crazy when you think about it because obviously you, you again you can't get 4.6 million people in a field 4.6 million people can't attend glastonbury so it's actually digital is is allowing these events to, to 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 increase their reach so it could be that you know next year's glastonbury festival there's 200,000 people in a field in somerset but there could be millions more around the world joining virtually so it's it's really exciting that's that's uh, absolutely fascinating. And while you were talking, I was also reminded of uh, a giant in the personal development space, Tony Robbins, and he just hosted a uh, a massive global virtual event mm. with millions. Yeah. As, as I think, I think you know. So uh, it's it's kind of interesting that people have become a lot more accepting of that because, of course, we all love live events don't we i mean it, it's it's there's just nothing like the energy of a live event whether it's music or sport or um even you know networking just being in the room with other people yeah. you just get that unique energy that you you yeah. simply can't get through screens but um failing that and this is something that we've all had to live without for a few months um actually you can also get um you can get some of that excitement um yeah. and and i guess what you're talking about with the virtual reality and so on and the hybrid events and and this and the unique studios i guess it's not just filming something and putting it up there it, it's actually making it even more exciting um and a different type of experience than it is live um, yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. And I think you're absolutely right about the, you know, the networking point of view. So I've, you know, a lot of industry conferences have been moved to virtual or digital experiences. And, you know, watching the keynote speaker, that's great. You're, 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 it's like you're in the room, you're getting the presentation, you're getting all the content, but it can never recreate that, that having a beer with someone or having a glass of wine with someone at the end of the day, 
meeting different people that you haven't seen from your industry for a while. So yeah, there's there's that's why hybrid's interesting because I think there's there'll be the best of live events, but then massively able to increase the reach through through digital as well. So. So, so do they? Is would there be like a lot of editing? I mean, you talk about virtual reality. So, I mean, would there be kind of like layers that are sort of built in, so it almost becomes like a cinematic experience? Yeah, yeah, it's like TV. So it's like a TV studio. So there's a full. It's like producing a TV show. So there's there's behind the scenes. You know, there's 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 people doing graphics. There's people doing motions. It's yeah, it's really interesting, and it's it's something that you know. As, as an industry, we, we need to embrace it because it's very easy for, for, for people, you know, in the event space, in the experiential space to go, we like, we like building stuff and we like people coming and touching and feeling it. But that world has changed. So we need to jump on the bus and embrace it. And, you know, technology is allowing us to do that. So we see it as a really exciting opportunity to, to do brilliant things for many more people. So, you know, it's, it's, it's the chance for us to take our clients you know, brand proof and, and take them to a much wider audience. So it's great. Cool. So so let's talk for a minute about COVID-19, Jack, because uh, because that's obviously had a huge impact on the events industry. Uh, people haven't been traveling and, you know, events, uh, certainly I, I worked in events and we were talking about that as, as well. I used to work for an automotive um, launch event company. That's one of my one of my things. And it's always been a very global business, hasn't mm. it? Um, so, of course, with with um, no air travel and no tourists and uh, all the venues having to shut down, it's had a huge impact, hasn't it? Um, so I just like to kind of, you know, talk about about what's what the impact was on you or the people that you know mm. within your industry and how you're bouncing back from that. Hopefully bouncing back. I think, yeah, I think we, we, we as a business started this year tremendously. We were, you know, we had a, we had a big pitch win pre-Christmas. We had existing clients um, doing more work with us. Um, we were growing the team. We were out recruiting for, for, for new team members. Every, every kind of metric we measured the business by was going in the right direction. And then, yeah, and then something very unexpected happened and everything stopped. So, you know, we... One of our, our, our you know, foundation clients and most important clients is, is Marriott Hotels. And for them, you know, their business has fundamentally changed. It, it, it just stopped overnight. And I think for us, um, it, we, we kind of regrouped immediately and kind of, you know, and, and what we did as, as an agency, we, we just wanted to, you know, a lot of other agencies, and I'm not going to criticize what other agencies do, but they were kind of out there going, We've now got some free time. Come and talk to us about your plans. We can start. And we were like, hang on. We've got clients that are fundamentally not even sure if they've got jobs. So we just took some, we didn't contact any clients for a couple of weeks. We just gave them the space. You know, it's not about us. It's about them. We let the dust settle. And then we reached out to them on a human level just to check in that they were right. And it wasn't, honestly, it wasn't about us saying, hey, we're still here. Come and give us a brief. It was literally like, hey, are you cool? Is your family okay? fine see you whenever and i think it was really important just to do that because as i said some of our competitors were, were very much still thinking about themselves and we very much weren't and i think after that we we when you know we we then started talking to clients again about what what it meant for their businesses and and, and what it meant for the campaigns 
and just thinking about how we could reimagine stuff, what we still could do, and what we just needed to cancel or park and be very honest about what we what we couldn't do. We also had to make sure that that, that our team were looked after um, and make sure that our people were were comfortable because it's you know we 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 had a, a brilliant guy called Hassan who joined us as an account exec. He'd only worked in an office for two weeks when this happened, and then suddenly he's working in a in a in a very busy house share. I think he's he lives with four or five mates, and you know his suddenly his world had completely changed. It was very exciting for him starting to come into central London to to to, to do his job. So just just checking in with the team, trying to you know, and there's been a, a you know a lot of stuff about kind of um, maintaining culture during this period. We 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 focused very much on that and just checking in every day and and talking. And then I think we, from a business point of view, me, Lloyd and Will, my, 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 my co-founders, thought, right, we've got to use this time positively. It's time to kind of sharpen the pencils and get ready for, you know, what, what, what the new world looks like. So we did a, a lot of reading. We, we did a lot of, you know, um, trying to understand broader implications of what was happening. And then we, we spent some time looking at, different assets or different elements of our, our, our industry and what that might mean for, for our clients. We pulled together a white paper that we presented to them that focused on looking at the psychology behind it. You know, even when people are able to go out and interact with each other, some people will still be scared. Will they want to go out? We looked at technology and now the fact that, that people are, you know, much more used to engaging through screens. What would that mean? What did it mean for AR and VR and, you know, the hybrid events I talked about a little bit earlier? Um, what would it mean for venues? Because fundamentally, a lot of the stuff we do is in physical spaces. How would people move around venues moving forward? What kind of materials would we use? You know, getting really granular and then looking yeah. at health and, health and safety. And, you know, health and safety is all, obviously always an integral part of everything we do because often we're, we're building sets, we're creating things. But now there's just, you know, we need to be so buttoned down on health and safety. And it's, it's the most important thing um, because oh. if, if we can't give our clients the confidence that we're all over it, then, you know, it's, 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 it's not great. So, so we did that. And then we took some beers to our clients as well. We, um, we dropped some beers off. Um, we're, we're people that I know that, that are potentially watching this will be laughing because I talk about Glastonbury a lot. We're actually named the park after an area of Glastonbury Festival. <laughs> but when there wasn't a Glastonbury Festival, we, we worked with a, a brewery called the Park Brewery, who we, we, is over in Richmond, and we know the guys there. And we created some bespoke um, beer can designs, working with some young artists. And we took them around to our clients. And just the, the three co-founders, we got in a car and drove around and saw all our clients and dropped them off, which I think, again, from a human level, a lot of them hadn't seen anyone apart from their families for quite a while. So we went and just saw them and checked in with them again. And then now the kind of, I think the last month or so things have started to pick up. We, we, we've got another big pitch on. Um, we've got a big, we won a pitch during lockdown, which was interesting. So we did, a, did a pitch entirely through zoom, which was, um, which was a challenge. Um, we did a tissue session as well through zoom, but what we did, we actually, to kind of trying to bring through a physical element to it, we actually dropped off little packs to all the potential clients. So they had something, it was dropped off by an actor, actually. We took an actor around and kind of tried to give them a bit of a real life experience or something interesting, although we had to fundamentally do it through through a screen. So we've, we've been using the time wisely. As I said, it feels like things are starting to pick up, um, but fundamentally the, the, the industry has changed forever. I think we are 
we're lucky in as much as, as we are. We are an experiential agency, but we have other offerings. So we do other things. And I think what we've now done is dial up those other things. So we, you know, we, 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 we are now talking more about our design offering and, and how that's relevant for clients. We're talking more about how we can work through social media and, and engaging with, with influencers. So we're, we're still fundamentally an experiential business, but these, these other supporting skills we had, we've kind of dialed them up a little bit more as well. Um, I understand. Yeah. yeah, pivot, the pivot, everyone's pivoting, but I think if you pivot too much, you, you get lost. So we're, we're, we're making sure that we're, uh, we're pivoting carefully and we, we still fundamentally are an events business. But as I said, we're lucky in as much as we don't do huge events for thousands of people. We've done one, one big event. We did a big project for Primark where we had a thousand people in a venue everything else is more like the Anthony Joshua Sky example I gave where it's 20 people, it's 50 people, but it's about creating that brilliant content off the back of it. So we're lucky in as much as our business isn't, hasn't been as affected as, as, a, as much as a lot of our suppliers and, and colleagues. So fundamentally, yeah, we're, we're, we're okay and starting to come out of it. That's really, really cool. And as I said, I remember from my time um, working in the events industry, even though it's a relatively short space of time compared to the time that I spent in agents in other agencies, for example, you know, I do remember that um, the companies that have been around for longer, they tend to very much occupy a niche. So uh, as I said, the agency that I work for, it was all about automotive launches. And if all you ever do is automotive launches, I mean, you know, they were very exciting and they were like global launches. So there were huge events, but it would have been very difficult for them to pivot. And I think from the sounds of it, you've got um, an interesting and fairly agile agency that uh, is basically founded on ideas. And with ideas, um, you never well, you never run out of ideas, do you? If you're creative, so that's really what what a lot of clients value and they need. It's a new, fresh way of looking at things and doing things. And it sounds like you've got that really nailed down. Mm, well, nailed down-ish, I think. But I think, yeah, from our point of view, yeah, I think it's, put the two together. <laughs> it's really exciting, and I think I think me and me and um, my strategy director are actually having a conversation today about how you know parameters and, and having restrictions actually builds or creates the best creative work if it's just an open brief like go and do something brilliant and there's no there's no parameters it's going to be hard but when you need to think around solving problems i think that brings out the best in creativity so we are you're absolutely right creativity is our currency you know that that fundamentally is is, is what clients are buying it's really important um and we as a business actually have a different approach to creativity than to a lot of our competitors. We don't have a creative department. We have a creative network. Mm -hmm. We have a, 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 you know, we've surrounded our business with lots of weird and wonderful and, and uh, you know, very creative people could be anything from, you know, food technicians to florists to traditional kind of copywriters and, and, and art directors. But I think, yeah, it's, 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 it's an opportunity. Like we, we, we thrive on, on, on challenges. So I think, you know, it's 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 you've got to be positive and think that that you know there's an opportunity to be really creative. And I think we'll see we'll start to see some brilliant work. I think we'll start to see some brilliant brilliant work very soon. Excellent. And of course, some of the best businesses were founded in the most challenging circumstances, weren't they? So I think that's also it's important to remember that, uh, as you said, sometimes those restrictions also create opportunities because everything exists in balance, right? 
yeah. So, uh, yeah. Um, so, so Jack, um, do you have a an, an ideal client avatar? And the, the reason why I'm asking this question is I've actually been running a challenge this week called the Connection to Many Roadmap, which is really taking, um, say, small business owners who have um, engaged with social media but never really engaged with automation before and actually moving them into more of a kind of automated uh, model. So one of this has come up as a big uh, challenge this week. And I'm, I'd just be very interested because obviously you've got um, – You've got an agency that is it's got off the ground. You've got a real agency that is doing real work and you're working with real clients and it's it's you know, it's go, go, go. But did you have a client avatar in the beginning and do you have one now or do you work for everyone? We we work for no, we don't work for everyone. So we 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 very much um we when we started the business, we 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 were very clear around the kind of brands we wanted to work with. And we've, we've turned down work for brands that we believe, you know, fundamentally don't fit with, with certain morals or standards we have. Yeah. Um, but in terms of, you know, looking at the, 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 the sectors and, you know, new businesses, it, it's new business and finding clients is, is the thing that keeps us all awake at night. And, you, you know, new business, it never stops. Um, we do, we, it's a, I'm, I'll give an anecdote, which I'm sure a lot of other people in our situation had. When we, when we started the business, we, we won our first big project. Um, we all got very excited. We, you know, it's like kids chasing a ball in a playground. We forgot about our new business pipeline. We worked on that client. We delivered that project. And then suddenly we, we came up for air again and we were like, oh dear, our pipeline is completely dry. So we had to kind of start from a new business point of view again um new business never stops i think from we we look at different sectors um so we're very clear around you know and we're actually again looking at what's happening at the moment and looking at the the sectors that, that are predicted to to grow from what's happening okay and, you know who if if we're not working with one of those brands currently why not and and and, and what we do from a new business point of view is 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 we don't just pick up the phone and go, hey, can we come and present credentials to you? Because um, we know that clients get pestered a lot with that kind of thing. And it's, it's why would they bother? So we always try and come up with an insight, an idea, a point of view on their business and, and take that to them. Um, but fundamentally, you know, there's, 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 there's brands that do a lot of work within our space. Um, and they're, you know, a lot of our competitors, that like everyone kind of goes after them. If, if there's an experiential agency that haven't done some work for Red Bull at some point, I'd be very surprised. Like everyone, need you need to have done something for Red Bull at some point because they are the, the masters of, of of kind of you know brand activation and experiential. But fundamentally, we we um, we want to work with brands that have something to prove. So it all comes back to that brand proof. And you know, if 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 the the, the brands we'd love to work with are almost people that aren't don't believe in experiential or don't believe in brand activation that have, have done things very traditionally and are quite cynical. Will, who is our, I've mentioned a, a second ago, is our strategy director and, and one of the co-founders. He was actually quite cynical about our space. He was director of marketing or controller of marketing at ITV, um, ITV2. All right. And, and for him, experiential was kind of, we've got 50 grand left. We'll go and throw a party. You know, we've done all the serious work. We've done all the proper marketing. And we, you know, we had to convince him that this is a discipline that's kind of undervalued and is, and, and when done right, is, is incredibly powerful. So for us, 
you know, although it's great that we have done a project for Red Bull, we'd rather, you know, it'd be great for us to, to really take a brand that, that hasn't seen value from this, this discipline before and take them on the journey and really deliver for them. And we're, part of that is being really ruthless around measurement as well um, and, and actually putting serious business metrics in place, not kind of flighty metrics. Exactly, exactly. So um, give me an example then, Jack. Uh, right, a couple of examples. Uh, so I'd like to have a couple of examples of um, brands that, like the ones that you just described, who don't really um, take experiential marketing seriously and they just don't think that it's really up to very much that you'd like to, and you'd like to open their eyes. And then also tell me a couple of brands that you might have you said you turned them down uh, because their values didn't align with yours. So I'd li like to hear both of those. Yes, in terms of, of, of brands that, that 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 aren't kind of doing stuff in this this space, I I think to be honest, it's it's it's, it's probably um, there's there's a, there's a few, and I, I and I think a lot of them are the, the, the big brands that probably believe more in in traditional marketing, and have done a lot of stuff in TV advertising. Um, Samsung, do you say? No, they they are brilliant. So they've created, right. yeah. So they ha they have created a store in Kings Cross, which is just an experienced store. So they are they are one of the market leaders. Um, they are they are unbelievable. We'd love to work with them. Yeah, they they are they're, they're incredible. I think it's more, you know, it's hard to say, to be. I'm I'm kind of waffling and, and struggling to say because I think it's. There's it's, it's there's a lot of brands that probably you know we we would identify. Um, there's one with, 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 that's on our list at the moment that, that's Tesco. That's that's interesting. But what's happening from a supermarket point of view? That's obviously a, a sector that's, that's that's doing well at the moment. Um, some of their you know Sainsbury's do some interesting work in our space. Um, it's probably but but the supermarket category probably could be doing more. That's a, that's a sector that's growing. It's getting competitive. Co-op are probably one the, the brand that does brilliantly in this space. So Co-op are quite forward-thinking. Um, you know, they um, I can't mention Glastonbury again, but I will. They put a supermarket into Glastonbury. They put a supermarket into Glastonbury Festival, which obviously, you know, you've got a lot of kind of young young people there. Um, and it's yeah, I think that was a really interesting project for them. So I think the supermarket category, probably excluding Sainsbury's and Co-op, is 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 the answer. In terms of the brand we've turned down, I, I don't want to name them, but they are, they're an online casino brand um, who fundamentally, once we understood more about their business and how they make money, um, just didn't sit comfortably with us. Um, and I think, you know, there's a, there's a few other sectors that, that, that potentially um, we wouldn't work with because we, we fundamentally need to believe in what the brand is doing and what our clients are trying to achieve if we're going to, if we're going to do a good job, if we don't believe in what they're trying to do, then it's in, you know it's going to be impossible to do anything worthwhile. To be honest, that's true. That's true. And and actually, you talking about that uh, brings me back to we we used to do uh, we we worked television uh, channels. So this is my when I had the brand identity um, company. In fact, we did the, all the logos for ITV. Um, but uh, we we would really work for any television channel that came along and said we've got enough money and we want a really nice brand identity campaign. 
So, so we had a bit of a, a moral dilemma when Playboy TV came to us. Right. And said, um, said we want you to we want you to do our brand identity. We don't want you to pitch with anybody. Here's you know uh, like two hundred and fifty thousand. We just want you to do it. And and it was like well, they were very very charming and very persuasive team. They were very they weren't sleazy at all. Mm. And they said, look, you won't have to have anything to do with kind of pictures of kind of naked women or, uh, you know, any any of that. You know, it really is just, you know, a logo and some nice, you know, bits of brand expression, all the rest of it. So we started working for them and it caused such an upset in the company. You know, a lot of the like the younger, uh, you know, female designers in particular, they really objected to it. And in the end, we just had to say, actually, I'm sorry, we just can't do it. It's just causing too many problems for us as a, as a business. Um, and uh, I, I think what happens is, is I think, obviously, I was running the business as well. And you, you have to think about your employees and they do get very excited, don't they? If they feel as though they're working on a brand that's cool and fun and, you know, it's got good values and they get demotivated if they feel as though there's something kind of unethical, a little bit kind of a little bit tasteless, really, about about the brand. So, you, I, I, yeah, I was just kind of reminded of that when yeah. you talked about that. Yeah, no, it's really interesting. And I think we, we would we would if there was one that we were unsure of. You know, we would uh, we would always talk to the guys that we would expect to work on it. If there was one that was kind of sitting on the balance that we were, you know, we weren't entirely convinced we should say yes or no to, we would talk to the team um, because fundamentally, yeah, you're absolutely right. You need people to believe in the work, or else you're not going to get good work. And I've I've seen that in you know big agencies where there's those clients that people resent working on, and the work the work isn't great you know it, it shows when people care and when people are excited and when they love what they're doing that comes through and everything so yeah i think it's really important and financially it's hard to say no um but sometimes you've got to look at the big pitch bigger picture and it's it, it it's 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 an important thing to do so we yeah we want to work with clients that that, that you know are aligned with our values and um you know are, are, are morally in a, in a similar place to us as well Cool. So, so would you say that um, culture, people, and culture is important to you as an agency? Yeah, it's really important. So, for us, we when the three of us started the business, we we from day one we said we're going to act like there's fifty of us. So from day one, and we, you know, someone, a, a friend of mine that that runs her own agency as well. She was, you know, it's almost that from day one you're putting those foundations in. You can't you can't change the culture of a business after six months, two years. So as I said, we we behave like we were an agency of fifty from from day one, and we had, you know, um, cultural outings, you know, things that we did to to and and we did it when there was only three of us. So we you know last Friday of the month we go out and we 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 have a cultural outing which is designed to inspire the team. It could be you know we might go to an exhibition, we we might go to a gig, whatever it is. And different people choose that experience, but we did that from day one. Nice. We very clear around meetings and just yeah and, and i think you know we we put a massive emphasis on on trying to create a brilliant place to work because i've you know lucky enough that the cape that i mentioned where my first job was you know i'm i'm still best mates with 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 you know so many people i work with there and and for people you know we spend a lot of time at work and it's really important to to, to create a great culture i've seen you know i've been in and around other agencies not necessarily work for them where the culture isn't great and it, again it, 
if people aren't happy, it, it, it comes through. So I think we're, we're in an interesting place now, kind of looking at agency culture through through you know the, the COVID times and post COVID. So we're we're at the moment kind of speaking to all the guys about you know what what it means what it means to will we have an office in the future if we have an office what will that mean do we want to get together and collaborate are people loving working from home how do if people are loving working from home how do we maintain company culture through those times it's really it's really interesting what's happening at the moment because you know we're trying to maintain culture when we're not in the same room is is very hard and i think yeah i, I the office situation is, is interesting you know i've spoken to a few other agency leaders and about their plans and a few of our clients and it's yeah i think that the kind of slogging into the office from for and sitting there for eight hours a day is is, is long behind us so it'll be interesting to see what happens wow so so uh what what is your conclusion in 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 that respect you said that obviously that you've created this white paper so i'd love to hear some of the insights that were in that white paper about the future and what what's in store for us all yeah so i think the the, the white paper was very interesting the, the white paper was focused mainly on what what it means for what events spaces will look like in the future so it wasn't necessarily looking at the office but it was looking at you know um from a psychology point of view, as I mentioned, the, the good news is people will, people are keen to get out and interact. So there's a YouGov, some YouGov um, research, people are keen to go out and interact with each other again. They are keen to attend live events. Um, there's, interestingly enough, the, the, the fear factor, and fear is a really important human um, trait, obviously. And in, in the UK, we actually have the same level as fear about coronavirus as, as Australia does. And you look at the amount of cases we've had compared to them. We're one of we're you know in terms of fear, it ranks really low in the UK. So people fundamentally want to go out and engage again. There's, there's this is obviously a generalisation. There's obviously different people that, that behave in um, different ways. So the, the the good news is from our industry, people do are wanting to go out and interact with each other again. Um, from a venue point of view, it's really interesting in in terms of looking at how how spaces are designed. You know, for we're we're, fun, we're we're going to queue to get into stuff a lot more. So actually, we've looked at that as an opportunity. So how do you how do you bring an experience or part of you know what people are going to see later on into the queuing process rather than just going queuing is a, a functional thing. We need to hold people because we need to sanitize and check temperatures and check PPE. Actually, how do we start the experience? How do we start engaging them? How do we start getting people excited while they're queuing? Mm. Um, Biophilic design is going to be really interesting in space. It, space is moving forward, which is bringing the outside world into indoor spaces so that people feel calm and serene. So we're going to see a lot of plants and trees and things in indoor spaces, which is really interesting. Nice. Um, we're going to see modular structures a lot more in terms of dividing up spaces, in terms of the, the materials we use. It, there's going to be, you know, um, porous materials such as cardboard are going to be used a lot more because they, they don't attract the virus and they can obviously be recycled really easily. Mm. Uh, things like copper and brass because they they, 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 they basically um, kind of naturally sanitise to a certain extent. So it's really interesting what's happening from, from venues. Mm. Uh, from a health and safety point of view, obviously, you know, uh, uh, if people have been to the pub, they're already, or a restaurant since, since we, we've been able to do it, you know, you're already aware of a lot of that stuff. Um, and obviously, you know, masks coming in from, from last week. Um, but as I said, health and safety is now absolutely critical to what we do. From an office point of view, I think we, 
we'll see our office. It's a, it's a bit of a pretentious term, but we see our, our. I think our office is going to be more of a clubhouse moving forward. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be a space where we'll come together to collaborate rather than somewhere we sit and and, and hammer up, you know, on a laptop for eight hours. I've, mm-hmm. I I have quite a long commute, and I you know I um there's there's days when I I sit on a train for two hours, get into the office plug my headphones in, work on a presentation, not speak to anyone, end of the day, take the headphones out, get back on the train and come home. It's just, it's crazy behaviour. So I think we'll, luckily that's kind of, won't happen anymore. But I think we are, as I said, we're kind of looking at what the operating rhythm will be for our office moving forward. It may well be that there's two days that we go in and and collaborate and and three days when people work from home. But we will speak to the guys and, and see what everyone wants to do and kind of, you know, gauge opinion. Um, because fundamentally, it's not it's not a decision we we can make for people. We need to understand everyone's in a slightly different scenario. We've got some of our younger team members now are going. Can we just hang out? Can we meet? Because we're getting, we're getting fed up of our flatmates, and we just we want to we want to see each other. So I think we'll we'll start you know seeing each other in some kind of format fairly soon. Um, and yeah, where, where that'll be, what kind of space that'll be, I'm not sure, but we're, we're, we're working through it. And I think, you know, another, I think we, as a, as a, as a, an agency that needs a small, small premises in London, I think there won't be any, any shortage of commercial property in central London. Um, so I think, I think there will be, and I think, you know, the, the people that are smart will be, you know, there'll be a lot more kind of co-working spaces and, and, you know, little offices that you can take for a couple of days and, I think again, it's it's going to be more flexibility because people are going to need flexibility. So it's it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, it really is, and uh, and and it, I I think it has changed fundamentally. I think even you know my children. So my daughter actually works for Samsung. She's in marketing in Samsung, and uh, her boyfriend works for Sky, and then uh, her friend works for an investment bank, and they live in a in a little flat in Battersea. And it's a like tiny little mm. flat. It's a very nice flat, but it's tiny. And they're all suddenly working from home. So I totally kind of get it that uh, that there's obviously they like it because they're saving money and they're not traveling. And but at the same time, there is a very strong desire, I think, for all of us to have that kind of communal experience and to connect. Yeah. And you know, we need variety. We 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 do need to get out and be with people other than the people that we live with don't we yeah fundamentally it's, it's basic human yeah it's human nature we we are we are we are humans and we are we are you know we like to collaborate and we like to spend time with each other um so i think yeah it's, it's interesting so yeah i think we, we we've got team members that are in similar situations in house shares because you know it's easy you know for, for, for me i can lock myself in the spare room and you know it's 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 quiet and but for them they you know some of them there's five of them around the kitchen table all all on different zooms all with headphones in mm-hmm. yeah it's 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 not necessarily the best environment okay well anyway i will let you get back to your evening jack it's been an absolute pleasure having you here tonight thank you so much for joining us it's been an absolutely fascinating interview and um, it's obviously going to go on our uh, podcast and YouTube channel. So we'll let you know when it comes out there. And I just wanted to say thank you so much for creating value for us this evening. Thank Pleasure. You. Thanks for your time, too. Speak soon. Bye. Yeah, bye. Thanks for listening to the Smart Connector podcast. 
If you've enjoyed this episode, why not head over to janebaylor.com and order a copy of my free report on building your personal brand. I'd love to connect with you on social media. And finally, don't forget to like and subscribe to my podcast so that you never miss a show. Thanks for listening in and see you soon.